If you would, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're studying the Ten Commandments. And today we come to the Fifth Commandment. Verse number 12 of Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This commandment is seen by many as sort of a turning point. And here we confront, I think, a really important issue. It's argued that the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. We are to love the Lord our God. And that the second six commandments, beginning with this one, the fifth commandment, deal with our relationship with our neighbor. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Fair enough. But some then go further and take it as a given that the first four deal with religious matters and the second six deal with ethical matters. Um, That the second six, in fact, deal with practices of social convention, that this is the way a society is to be formed. As we see next week, do not murder, do not steal. It's like, well, these are good ethical standards for any given society. Put another way, people would say, yes, I keep the commandments. Uh, I see them as a practical guide to my behavior. But what they mean is, in fact, that I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't give false witness, I don't covet. Um, They don't deal with the first four commandments because they see them as religious by nature. Um, And this point of view, this approach, in fact, fails to take into account or to appreciate that the Ten Commandments as a whole tell us of the true nature of things. First of all, there is only one God. You shall have no other gods before me. Secondly, God is a spirit. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Third, God's name reveals who he is. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Fourth, God created time as a gift, and among his creations is rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And today, as we will see, God created our very being, our life. And this is found in the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. This will continue, and we'll see this as we go along through the series. The Ten Commandments are instruction as to what the nature of God is, what the nature of reality is, and what the nature of human life should be. As with the other commandments, there are so many things one could say about this commandment, but let me give you some things to consider. First of all, it is no coincidence that after the fourth commandment, which tells us that we must live in time as a gift, that God created time and it is a gift to us, that now we have the fifth commandment, which tells us that our very being, our life is gift. Our life comes through our mother and our father. And so after being told that time is a gift, and one of the things in time is that we are to rest, now we are told that our very lives themselves are gift from God. We are creatures. We are created by our fathers and mothers. We are not manufactured. We are begotten, not manufactured. 
The fifth commandment commands us to live as those who know that their life is in fact a gift. We're not self-derived. The myth of, well, the idea of the self-made person is in fact a myth. It's a lie. I gave out this quote, I think, back in July. Uh, You may remember it. Nothing is as ontologically revealing as our belly button. That is, gives us a sense of our source, where we came from. This is only one of the teachings of the fifth commandment. By noting that we are creatures, creations of mothers and fathers, the Decalogue tells us that we have life as a gift. We are begotten, not manufactured. Someone even changed our diapers, our first hint of what grace must be like. No wonder some of us despise our parents, for they are a visible, ever-present reminder that we are created, that the significance of our lives is not exclusively self-derived. Each of us has been parented, no matter how old we become, no matter how many children we ourselves may have, we never get over being children of God and our parents. So, after being told that time is a gift, we are now told that our lives are a gift. The second thing that we see is that as creatures we are meant to worship, and we will. The question is, who or what will you worship? The first commandment tells us who we should worship. There is only one God. The fifth commandment tells us that we learn how we are to live with one another, and it is based on how we worship God. Then we see that as creatures, we are dependent. Let me spend a bit of time here reviewing some material that we've looked at before. Human beings are creatures that are wholly dependent upon God. There is nothing that any of us has that has not been given to us by God or by someone else. We are radically dependent. We cannot be sustained on our own. We need God's help and the help of those around us. And on some level, this may say, you might say, well, yeah, that, of course, Damon, that, that's the way it is. But in our culture and in the West, um, what is prized instead is the idea of freedom, of autonomy, of being an individual. And in the process, the idea that we actually came from someone that we had parents is sort of cast by the wayside. Um, You might want to be free, yes, but you are still dependent. I want to be independent, well, you're still dependent. We depend on our families, on our communities, but more fundamentally we depend upon God because we are creatures. We are created by God and given life through our parents. I've mentioned this before, but I would suggest there are at least five things that mark us as human beings. First of all, to be human is to be dependent. Secondly, it is to be embodied, to have a physical body. Thirdly, to be relational, to be in a relationship. Fourthly, to be broken and deeply lost. But then lastly, it is to be loved 
and profoundly purposeful. Let me go over these briefly. Human beings are those who are completely dependent upon God um, because we are creatures. All that we have, all that we have is gift. And we are not valued because of our capabilities or our abilities. We shouldn't be. Our capacities are gifts from God. So we can't say, well, this person is special because they're able to do A, B, C, or X, Y, Z, whatever. No. In fact, what we should say, rather than saying, I, I think, therefore I am, I am because I am created. I'm dependent. I'm gifted by the Creator. And I'm loved in all circumstances and for all time. But in our world, in our culture, if you say that you are dependent, that means you're vulnerable. That implies that you're weak. And nobody wants to be seen that way. And so the idea of being dependent is put, put aside. If you want to be free, if you want to be unattached, if you want to be sovereign, if you want to choose, yeah, then you don't want to talk about being dependent. But in fact, we are. Secondly, we have bodies. We are embodied creatures. We experience the world. We live in the world through our bodies. It is in Genesis 2 that we are told of the creation of the first human being, that is Adam. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We tend to think of ourselves as two parts, body and soul. This is not correct. God did not make a body and then put a soul in it, like putting a letter in an envelope. He formed man out of the dust of the ground. And by breathing his life into it, he made the dust live. Um, I think we tend to view our bodies as balloons and that our souls are the part that God sort of breathed into us and that when we die, that's the air being let out of the balloon. But this, in fact, is wrong. We are animated earth which contains the very breath of God our bodies are holy ground and when we say our bodies we should mean our whole bodies every part of us so if death is not letting the air out of the balloon then looking ahead to the next commandment murder is not letting the air out of the balloon it is an assault on holy ground. God breathed life into the dust. We are, we have God's breath in our bodies and not like air in a balloon. So to kill somebody is in fact an assault on that which is holy. Violence against a person is not only on the balloon, it is against the whole person whose very being has God's breath in him or her. Should really make us rethink the whole idea of violence and of murder. That's why the Old Testament takes a very harsh view in the minds of many against various crimes against the person. That if you do something against the person, this must be punished severely because that person has the breath of God. 
To be human is to be a creature. It is to have a body which has had life breathed into it. And that life was given to us through our parents. Thirdly, to be human is to be relational. We are creatures who are loved into existence by the Creator. God created out of love, and He created us out of love. What makes us different than, than the rest of creation? We see in the creation account that God begins to communicate with Adam, and He enters into a personal relationship with him. We should recognize this wasn't Adam's doing. Adam didn't say, well, I want to, somebody out there? I'm, you know. No, God is the one who entered into a conversation with him. God initiates and God sustains the relationship. And even after Adam and Eve sin, at which point you would say, God would be like, I'm done with you guys. He continues to be in relationship with those who are married, made in his image. We also see in Genesis 2 that Adam was incomplete when he was the only human on the planet. And so God makes Eve and Adam finds fulfillment when God creates Eve and he enters into a relationship with her. Adam found fulfillment. This is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Number four, I've switched the order a bit here. To be human is to be loved, to be in loving relationships, to live humanly is to love. It is an act of engagement with another on a deep and personal level. It says, in essence, I want you to exist. I love you, and I want you to be there. Um, love requires determination, requires fidelity, an intentional desire to be with the other person, to continue to love them no matter what. This is how God loves us, how he loves his creation. It is the way that we are called to love one another. When creatures rebel against God, God still loves. He doesn't cut off and say, that's it, I'm done with you. God continues to love To be human is to love persistently. And to live humanly is to show persistent love toward others. And that includes our parents who first taught us what it meant to love. But then we come to the fifth thing, and that is to be human is to be broken. Profoundly so. The idea that we are dependent is something that Eve did not want to accept. She pushed it aside, and therefore she listened to the serpent and ate that which she was not told to do. Isn't this what we see in our culture, in the lives of people around us? In trying to be independent and autonomous, we have managed to alienate ourselves from the one who is the source of life and love and to reject his love. And as a result, we are broken. 
The reality is we learn the love of God from our parents, whether they know it or not, they teach us love. But this leads to the next point, the brokenness of our state is seen in our parents. Our parents are human, okay, which means they're dependent, they're embodied, they're relational, they love, but they're also broken. You will notice that this, co- this commandment does not say, honor your father and mother if they're good people. It certainly doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they're perfect, because then no one would be honored. Okay? The reality is our parents are not perfect, neither are we. In Ephesians 6.1, we are told to obey our parents in the Lord. And as one commentator noted, for they sit in that place to which they have been advanced by the Lord. In other words, God put parents in that place that we are to obey them, who shares with them a part of his honor. We honor God, we honor our parents. Therefore, the submission paid to them ought to be a step toward honoring the highest father. Hence, if they spur us to transgress the law, we have a perfect right to regard them not as parents, but as strangers who are trying to lead us from the obedience to our true father. In other words, we obey our parents unless they tell us, do something wrong. But I would argue that we are still to honor them. They gave us life. If we would be honest, we've heard stories that families can be terribly hurtful, incredibly violent places to live. And many people have had horrible childhoods because of parents who did not treat them right. So what do we tell them about the fifth commandment? Do they still have to obey this commandment? I would suggest to you that we obey this commandment when we acknowledge that we are creatures who, by the will of God, have been given life through these parents. As terrible as they may be, as seen in certain cases of child abuse, things like that, there's still to be a recognition. Yes, you don't say, well, no, I didn't come from anybody. No, you came from your parents and while they wrongfully abuse you, acknowledge that you are a creature. The parents who we acknowledge are not perfect and each may have their own particular faults. But we don't have to put up with a dangerous situation in the case of abuse. This commandment doesn't say, honor your father and mother, which means whatever they do to you, you have to put up with it. Parents are to be obeyed as they obey the Lord. Each of these commandments, by the way, qualifies and interprets the others. Those who expect to be honored by their children keeping the fifth commandment must themselves keep the Ten Commandments. Another thing to consider is that the commandment is not given to young children, but to adult children. Adults, we are adults here, we are children. We are the children of someone, and we are the audience for this commandment. I think for some reason in people's minds, they honor your father and mother, that's, that's for kids, and then when you leave home, yep, 
you're done. You don't have to honor them anymore. The commandment to honor our parents is a claim about who we are as creatures, and not just when we're young, but throughout our whole life. We are creatures, and we are to honor them. Now let's bring it up to the modern day. The family unit is seen by many in the modern world as an obstruction to the goals, to obtaining the goals of particular movements. Marxism, which is uh, the foundational system of various movements today, one of which has this in its mission statement. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. Well, you know, in the face of it, this sounds good, that we are one extended family. We're a village. It takes a village, aren't we told? Which, in essence, allows us to ignore the fifth commandment. Because there's no father or mother, there's just the community. There's just the village. We now live in a society that is marked more and more by tribalism or identity politics, to use another name. This is, as some have argued, the result of the fracturing of the family. One author has argued, the dramatic changes in the integrity of family life reflected in an acute increase in fatherlessness, illegitimacy, infidelity, and divorce are not merely correlation to the rise in identity politics. In losing the family, we have lost our very selves and are left to desperately grasp at any identity on offer to us, contrived or otherwise. In other words, if I don't have to honor my father and mother, then I I do need a basis of identity, and people are looking left and right to find that basis of identity. In response to what's happening in our society, another author observes, targeting the family is intrinsic to the agenda of woke ideology precisely because of the way the family is meant to uphold the dignity of the person and serve as a bulwark against political tribalism. A healthy, well-formed family is preventative. It provides the belonging and care that prepares one to walk confidently into adulthood. People who have no sense of belonging, who do not honor their fathers and their mothers, will in fact be, be sucked into any organization that gives them uh, a new identity. Now, lest you think, well, it's, it's those communists. It's the Marxists. They're, they're the ones who are against the family. They're the ones who are against the fifth commandment. It has been well argued that modern contemporary democracies have found that people are much more controllable, manageable by the state when they are told that they are individuals who have no responsibilities to anyone other than themselves. It's not just on the left, I would say it could also be on the right, that we find as people are told more and more that they're individuals, that the idea that actually you're a creature and you were given life by your parents. Therefore, you are to honor them. Um, Such a person is not as manageable by a a state uh, as those who have a real, who have no sense of belonging. 
those who have no sense of belonging can be carried away by any political wind that comes along. One writer said, people who have a home and parents at least have some means of possibly resisting the almighty state and its economy. If you have parents, if you have a home, then you have on some level some means of resisting this almighty state that says we are in control, we will tell you what is right and what you are to do. Another thing, there's only one story told to us about the childhood of Jesus. Have you thought about that? We're told about his birth, um, then he's taken to Nazareth, well he goes to Egypt and then they go to Nazareth. But between that time and when he begins to preach, we're only told of one incident in his life. It's found in Luke chapter 2. And you may be familiar with it, but if you will allow me, let me read it to you. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for, on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. In this one story of the childhood of Jesus, there are many fictional stories, how Jesus as a little boy would make animals and then breathe into them and they would become alive. Some boy fell off the roof of a house and died and the, uh, the child, or I guess at that point, the boy Jesus raised him from the dead. And that's not what we find in scripture. We're given one story and one story only. And what we find is that he honored his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary. He obeyed them. I think that that's really something we should take to heart. It's no coincidence that that is the case. We've been talking about the children. Let's talk now about the parents. The first commandment given in human history, given to the human race, is to parenthood. Be fruitful and multiply. And from this command, in the fifth commandment, we learn that to be a parent is a gift from God. Parents come to learn that their lives are interwoven in webs of gift and responsibility. Parenting is life-giving. In some ways, that's the easy part. It's life-sustaining. Having created the world, God offers the gift of giving life to the man and the woman. Therefore, to be a parent is a high calling and one that is worthy of our honor. Children aren't given to parents by God. 
for their pleasure and amusement. Though, without question, children do bring a lot of pleasure. <laughs> Sometimes they're really funny and they amuse us. And that's not why they're given to us. They are given so that parents might be brought closer to God. I think parents realize this is a big job. I, I don't know that I can handle this. And we look to God as the source. It's the one who will, in fact, as he draws parents closer to himself, they are better able to instruct their children. In fulfilling their calling as parents, people come to become better people than they were before. See, it is from parents that we learn what is important. They model behavior. They tell us by their behavior what it means to honor God, to obey him. They show us the importance of obedience. Why should a child obey you if, in fact, you're not obeying God? But as you obey God, they come to see the importance of obeying you. I have been told by parents that it is a source of frustration that oftentimes children learn the wrong things from their parents' behavior. The good things that you want them to learn, they don't always seem to pick up on, but the bad things, they learn quick. It is the grace of God to parents in their calling that they raise their children. We should also say that children are not given to parents uh, merely for security and adoration. You know, in my old age, my children will take care of me. Parents are here to keep teaching us that what we have here is gift. Parents learn this, parents teach this, and in our living, we are to remind one another that life is gift. In the process, an amazing thing happens. There is a reversal in which the parents originally took care of the children. And as I read in the quote earlier, changed their diapers. But the time may come when in fact the children care for the parents and in some cases may have to change their diapers. And in doing so, they obey this commandment. They honor their parents. Let's go back to the contemporary situation. The family in the matter of public versus private. In our world, a great deal is made about the distinction between private and public. And the family is put in the category of private, interestingly enough, which means the family is a place where a person finds a haven. Uh, in a crazy world, there's a place of shelter. Uh, it's a place of personal opinions and psychological relations. That's, yeah, love and things like that. That's private. That's in the family. On the other hand, the public sphere is where people learn to deal with what really matters. Students go to school to learn to be educated in what's really important, which are what? Facts, public, socially significant knowledge by which the individual gains power. So suddenly the family is sort of pushed aside. Yeah, when you go home, that's, that's okay. But you know, the really important stuff is what you do in the public world. And there you can gain power as a society defines power. And so the family is reduced to a retreat 
where you learn skills that are really irrelevant to everyday life. I would argue that the fifth commandment places the family right in the middle of public responsibility and it refuses to make family private. Honoring our father and mother is not simply something we do when we're home in the house. It is something we do in our everyday actions. I was raised in a culture in which shame was sort of the governing principle. You never want to uh, bring shame. And interestingly enough, if you could say to someone, you have no shame, well, that's not a nice thing to say. But the issue is, are you bringing shame on your parents? In the public sphere, we honor our parents by our behavior and by our speech. One more thing. The fifth commandment, I don't know if you notice it, ends with a blessing, not a punishment. And when we're told not to take the name of God in vain, God will not hold you guiltless. He is a jealous God. But here it says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The promised blessing is so that you may live long in the land. Paul writes this in Ephesians 6. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, Paul writes, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Some people are uncomfortable with this. What, I, I honor my parents so that I will live a long life? I'm to honor them so things will go well with me. One writer puts it rather strongly. If you are uneasy about this commandment's promise of blessing and reward for those who are obedient, get over it. And I can remember some years, decades now ago, that I was struggling with this, that... um, and I, I, I don't know if this is an American thing or just my thing, that um, we would do something to be blessed by God. Well, that doesn't seem right. Shouldn't you just do it because it's the right thing? And someone said, well, Damon, what is, if, you don't, if you're not blessed, what are you? You're cursed, okay? You're punished. There's no neutral ground here. There's no gray area. Either you are blessed or you're punished for what you do or what you fail to do. You see, the commandments are either good news or they're bad news. But what they both tell us is your actions have consequences. And if you break the commandments, that's bad news. If you keep the commandments, it's good news. If we have the fifth commandment, the one with promise. It seems that people today, even some believers, would rather point to fate or to good luck or bad luck rather than obedience or disobedience. Our actions have consequences and how we live makes a difference. We are to honor our father and our mother. 
Well, at this point, someone listening to this sermon might say, oh, Damon, you're pushing the whole family values agenda. No, this commandment is not about justifying something called family values, as if the family was good in and of itself. See, that's what happens when you start at the fifth commandment and not at the first. Nothing has goodness or value on its own. The world is only good as it relates to the will and the wisdom of a gracious God. There's a reason that the fifth commandment is not the first commandment. Just to remind you what we looked at at the beginning. What is the nature of reality? There is one God. Okay, you shall have no other gods. God is a spirit, so don't make any images of God. God's name reveals who he is, so don't take his name in vain. God created time. And part of that is rest. And God created parents. He gave you life. You can't start with, oh, I have life. Okay. The foundation comes first. So it's not a question of family values. The issue is there's only one God. We should not have any other gods. Something that hopefully has come to your mind in the course of this sermon is gratitude. Gratitude to our parents for the lives that they have given us. I read a quote earlier. Let me read it again. Nothing is as ontologically revealing as our belly button. This is only one of the teachings of the fifth commandment. By noting that we are creatures, creations of fathers and mothers, the Decalogue tells us that we have life as a gift. We are begotten, not manufactured. Someone even changed our diapers, our first hint of what grace must be like. No wonder some of us despise our parents, for they are a visible, ever-present reminder that we were created, that the significance of our lives is not exclusively self-derived. There's no such thing as a self-made person. Each of us has been parented. No matter how old we become, no matter how many children we ourselves may have, we never get over being children of God and our parents. And gratitude is the appropriate response to this reality, that we are creatures, that we have parents, and that we need one another. Nurtured within someone's womb, our mother's womb, we are most dependent of all creatures at birth. And we are the least adept at fending for ourselves for the longest time. I mean, if you ever watch like National Geographic or Animal Planet, you know, where they show uh, in the wild that uh, a creature gives birth, let's say an antelope, and within a few minutes, that baby antelope is walking around, running around. We're not like that, are we? It might be a year before we learn how to walk. And this baby antelope knows it can feed from the mother, but it can also eat grass. It knows these things instinctively. No, with us, it's not that way. And so we should be grateful that, in fact, we have been given life and we have been given parents who have taken care of us when we were at our weakest and our least able to fend for ourselves. Life is a gift, not a possession. Let's remember that. We are to be grateful 
to God and to our parents for our lives. We received a letter from a missionary with the following story, and I've changed some of the names I've left out. It's in what is known as a closed country. Okay. Yesterday, this person came to church. It was his 17th birthday. Before the service I sat with him, he immediately wanted to confess that he could never, ever honor his father. I said, good, that's not a problem, which of course startled him. I continued, the Ten Commandments are not a bunch of rules that make you a Christian. They are there to show us that what we are not able to do. It is only by recognizing this that we can see that we are hopeless. We need Christ. He's the doorway to go through by trusting in the death of Christ, his perfect life and death in our place, by confessing our sins, that we are never able, we're not able to ever reach God's standard, we can go through the doorway. The church service started, so our conversation was paused. However, when the worship service liturgy reached confession of sins, he leaned over to me and said, my heart is beating so fast. I'm so nervous. I smiled encouragingly. After the f service, the first thing he said to me, I feel here in my heart a freshness, like it's been cleansed with mint. And the missionary puts hyssop as a member of the mint family. It's a wonderful story, a wonderful reminder that we cannot keep the commandments perfectly. We cannot. But Christ has. And it is through him that we have life. That doesn't mean that, okay, well, I don't have to keep the commandments. Jesus did. No, this is how we are to live, to acknowledge that we are creatures. Last thing. We live in a world in which we have, someone have told us, that we are to hate our parents. Freud tells us that we are to want to kill our fathers. Patricide, which inevitably leads to a desire to kill God, or at least to say that God is dead. Freud taught that we are to believe that we ought to hate the ones who produced us, to make ourselves our own creators not possible. We've been given life by our parents. So we want to be gods ourselves and therefore we violate the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. All the commandments fit together. They go together. Don't forget that. I hope when we're done with this series you'll see that they all fit together. It may be that parents have been less than they should be. They are fallen after all. They are broken like the rest of us. And some are resentful. One might say with good reason. But God gave us life as gift through them. We are to honor them and we are to be grateful. Let's pray together. Our Father, we live in a society that does not prize parenthood, 
instead prizes independence. And presentations of the family are oftentimes so skewed as to want one to run away from it. Fathers are portrayed as buffoons, not knowing what, what is up or what is down. May we recognize that this is in fact an assault on the fifth commandment. You do not say honor your father and mother if they're good people. If they're the parents, they should be. If they always get things right. No, we are to honor our fathers and our mothers. Through them, you have given us life as gift. And from them, we learned so many things. We learned about obedience and about love. We may have learned other things that perhaps we should not have, but they've been for us an example. They have been, in a real sense, priests for us as they've taught us about you. For those who did not have good parents, who were raised in broken homes, your grace is sufficient. In keeping the fifth commandment, we do not gain grace, do not gain salvation. It is through Christ and Christ alone that we are saved. in a society in which the state has sought to usurp the place of mother and father. May we as your people come to see this and not see it as a neutral action, but a direct breaking and assault on the fifth commandment. And by your grace, may we keep this commandment. May we honor those through whom you gave us life. It is something that the one story we are told of Jesus' childhood is that of obedience to Joseph and Mary. By your grace, may we think on these things in the days to come and not be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Thank you for bringing us together today. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.